You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly dose of inspiring innovation. Hello and welcome to Lab Notes. I'm your host, Leo Stevens, and today I'm pleased to welcome Molly Patton, the founder and creative director of Patton Studios. Hailing from Victoria's Mornington Peninsula, Molly graduated from Deakin University in 2015, having completed a double degree in arts and science with the unusual major combination of photography and biochemistry. After initially working in her own postgraduate research project, Molly decided to trade lab space for a studio and founded her design consultancy with the mission of communicating the value of scientific research and supporting research translation. Now with a team of five to 10 fellow creatives, Molly's agency produces a range of content from websites and videos through to journal covers and pitch decks with clients including the CSIRO, Science and Technology Australia, the University of Melbourne, and a wide variety of startups and individual research teams. Molly has some great perspectives on the value of integrating visual communication into the process of science and an optimistic view about the way great communication can bring funding and interest into the research sector. Molly, welcome to the show. Thanks, happy to be here. So let's dive right into your work and give the audience a bit of context. You're the founder and creative director for Patton Studios. Can you tell us a little bit about that business? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Patton Studios is a graphic design studio, but we're also a, a full spectrum digital agency. So we work not just with graphic design mediums, but animation, web design, and even innovation consulting to help scientists and companies in industry communicate the value of what they do to try and attract more opportunities and market interest and funding. So we can we can see more research going through that translation pipeline and ultimately seeing more more discoveries turned into real world solutions. And is it just you or how, how big is this firm now? I started with, with just me and my, my camera. Um, I'm a photographer by trade, but now we've sort of expanded to oh, anywhere between three and ten people at a time so we have a really dynamic creative community here in Melbourne and I, I keep a very fluid workforce depending on the kinds of projects that we have on board simply because the scope of what we do is so big um, tapping into that freelance community is wonderful so I have a close-knit knit network and, and we all work together to fulfill these projects. So you grew up on the Mornington Peninsula south of Melbourne and attended the Peninsula Grammar School do you feel the private school environment guided your path towards running your own business now? Or have you always had an independent streak innately within you? Um, I, I think it's innate in me um, as much as anything. But Peninsula is, uh, I wouldn't call it your typical private school. It's very close-knit. You know, there, there was 160 people in my, my year level and I could pretty much have a genuine conversation with every single one of them. Um, so we were really, really tight. And I, I don't know that you would necessarily get that at larger private schools but it's definitely helped shape my art of conversation and the ability to take take an interest in people that once upon a time in a school environment you're kind of forced to be around but you learn to genuinely take an interest in people and think oh wow this is actually really cool and you learn off them and yeah I still keep in touch with a lot of them so from that that perspective it's uh it's it was a really great experience. So I know you were quite involved in the school's soccer program can you tell us a little about that experience? 
Yeah, I, I was I was put in goals in year seven. I was 13. I was tall, lanky, and I had you know a half decent drop punt. I could kick over the center line, and that was that was the criteria. That, you know, that's you've got the job. But you very quickly learn that it's so much more than just catching a ball and kicking a ball. You you learn how to be a real tactician, and I I really relish that ability to be able to see everything happening on the pitch in the context of everything else and dictate, you know, where people should stand. Um, It taught me a lot about leadership and, you know, how to communicate with people. Not everyone responds to the standard yelling across a soccer pitch. Sometimes you have to communicate to people in different ways, and it's certainly a lot of the skills I learned through goalkeeping I, I still use today. So you went on to study at Deakin University, doing a double degree combining a Bachelor of Arts Photography with a Bachelor of Science and a Biochemistry major. It's a very unusual pairing, but one that seems perfectly suited to your current business. Did you always have this goal in mind? Absolutely not. I, I was one of those those kids that just had no clue what they wanted to do. Um, I just... I enjoyed doing a lot of things, but I'd never had that one passion where I thought, right, I want to be a paramedic or a teacher or a dentist or a lawyer. I just I just didn't have it. I had no clue. And the advice that my parents gave me was keep all your doors open. And I took that very literally. And I just kept studying everything that I could. Um, science, I felt, was the subject that opened the most doors. So I continued um, studying chemistry and eventually biochemistry and just kept it going. Um, I, I thought, well, there's, there's nothing, there's no reason not to keep going. Um, I'm enjoying it. I, I picked up Mandarin at uni as well, just because. Um, and yeah, I, I've learned a lot of a lot of skills, and and eventually I've come to realise that it's very influential in a lot of the decisions that I, I've made. The most obvious thing, you know, my career choices, but it provides a nice balance in my decision making on a, on a daily basis. So if we can get back to your work at Patton Studios, I know a significant part of your portfolio is producing journal cover art. For the non-scientists in the audience, can you quickly describe what a journal cover is? Yeah, sure. I, I guess a journal cover is, it's very much like a, an editorial cover, so the cover of a magazine, but this particular magazine contains academic journals and lots of research papers that are published as journal articles in particular issues, and you know they come out at regular intervals. It's very much like a magazine for um, academia, if you will. So a journal cover, it needs to be visually attractive, uh, but also kind of relevant to that that quite technical science audience. What's your process for creating a journal cover? Are you relearning new fields each time you, you get a client? Yeah, I certainly read uh, the research if, if I'm allowed to. Um, it's it's very fascinating. It keeps me on my toes, you know, with my, my scientific um, you know, readings as well. It's always fascinating to learn. But essentially, yeah, the process is finding a way to communicate the science in subtle ways that are still very accurate and will attract enough attention, but also to make it look amazing. You know, this this image is potentially representing someone's research on on the world stage. It's got to look amazing, um, and, and that that can be a very difficult balance sometimes, particularly with the more abstract concepts like artificial intelligence and things that aren't necessarily as tangible as something in neuroscience or, or advanced manufacturing. 
It wasn't that long ago that journals were primarily physical magazines sitting in tea rooms or on library shelves waiting for researchers to flick through. But journals, like many other forms of literature, are increasingly shifting online. How is that shift changing the relevance of cover art and the way these images get disseminated? Um, it's interesting. I, I find the artworks that we produce, we produce them at poster quality. So there is still an option for people to print them off and hang them as wall art. Uh, which is, is really great for rapport amongst, you know, your research institutions and you walk through the halls and, you know, wow, look at all the covers that we've done. We create images that are also digitally optimised as well, so they get a package to promote this in as many ways as they can, in their PowerPoints, in their uh, grant proposals, as many ways as possible to just make the most of, I guess, it, I guess it's advertising in a way of, of their research and why it's so important. Well, that's probably a good moment to take a step back from the specific example of journal covers and get your input into the value of publicity and branding in science more generally. What are your clients hoping to achieve through this outreach? Um, I think there's multiple, multiple goals um, increasing the general public's interest in science, which requires a different tactic to increasing awareness for, for funding and branding to attract particular funding bodies or philanthropic investors. And that might be a little bit different, again, to attracting industry interest, which might require a little bit more of, a, I call them sniper pitches, the way you, you really target your audience very specifically to, to achieve an outcome. So there, there's sort of lots of different levels and lots of different angles. So branding is, is very important to have an overall message of what your research is about and what it means and what your institute values, you've, you've got to have it in this day and age. It's so important to, to staying at the front of people's minds and, and staying at the top of public and government and industry interest. So this podcast, Lab Notes, uh, focuses on technology translation and the journey of taking research outside of that purely academic environment. I know Patent has undertaken contracts for a few research translation efforts, including the ACID facility and the ACMD. Um, could you tell us a little bit about these efforts and the part that your business has played? Um, yeah, the, the, the ACID facility was, was a really interesting project. It was a facility designed to test concrete, particularly around corrosion, and just to see how we can make improvements to infrastructure going forward and how we can repair current infrastructure so we don't need complete rebuilds. So it was all about um, materials engineering and concrete research. So Patton Studios basically had to construct a 3D concept of what this facility could look like um, because it, it was very hard to sort of picture this factory with all this bespoke equipment. You know, from a, a funding body's perspective, it's like, well, what is this going to look like? Where is it going to go? So to give them something tangible really gives them a visual perspective and they go, oh, okay, this could work. It ignites more conversation than just, so here's our idea, you know, here's the breakdown. Visuals just complete the picture. So research translation is often a long and multi-stage journey from early fundamental research right through to a standalone company. I know your portfolio has worked from across that spectrum, but is there a stage in this journey that you're most affiliated with? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's different kind of levels that we can enter the translation process at. Um, a lot of the time we are brought in to polish up some visual media content. So in the case of the transport innovation project, we were brought in to create a brochure to inspire people to want to get involved and 
that was everyone from academics to small businesses, small to medium enterprises, all the way through to big industry. And that's one direction that we can come in and and have an influence as designers. Um, The other influence that we can have is right back at the fundamental research phase as well. Creating things like visual media or even just consulting on how to create visual media throughout the research process. We're slowly finding out that this can actually influence translation timelines, recording experiments through video or time lapse, photographing things properly can actually create different kinds of data sets to what we can see from scientific instruments and they can complement one another. And this really adds to the body of knowledge around what scientists and researchers are studying. And it can also contribute data to the science itself, which means that we have discoveries ready to go into that translation pipeline much sooner than would would otherwise have happened. And from there, we've actually already got media assets to pitch these ideas to industry that really just require a, a little quick polish up. And you've you've got a funding pitch right there and then. So there's so many advantages from engaging designers earlier on in the translation process. And that's the angle that we're trying to push now is involving us earlier so we can help you translate research sooner and potentially get more funding back and invest into the next round of research. So as well as photographing their experiments, is there other advice you regularly give to scientists about the ways to create exciting content around their research? Um, Yeah, I definitely run workshops around the basics of graphic design to try and um, empower particularly younger researchers, but really anyone who who wants to learn how to structure things like posters and pitch decks so that they don't just work in the first instance, say a poster at a conference, they can work for you across all kinds of mediums and platforms. So then you only have to do it once and it saves you time and you can get on with doing your research, which is what what you really want to be doing. So I think empowering people and, and, you know, really lifting the veil on on our processes because they are very methodical. Um, You know, we don't just put things, yeah, wherever we feel like them. There there are methods to why we make creative decisions and, you know, really shining a light on that, um, I think helps build that relationship between designers and scientists and, and even industry as well. So you're working with both individual researchers and institutional clients. Do you have a preference or a focus for patent going forward? Um, No preference whatsoever. Um, I'm really big on on keeping design services accessible to everyone. And if that means that a PhD student needs help with their confirmation PowerPoint, that's completely fine. If it means that an institution is looking to translate a new piece of technology or create a new spin-out company and they need a brand and website and everything, then that's completely fine too. Um, it's all about making it accessible for everyone. I think it's it's really possible to see a day where funding in science is not a problem and we don't have to worry about it anymore. And I really think design can, can help there. It just we need to be involved in that conversation so we can help guide that process and become that conduit that communicates between industry and government and academia. And we do it all through visuals and it looks great. And yeah, I, I really think it's possible. And, you know, it would be great to, to see everyone working together so we can see, as I said before, more great discoveries fast-tracked into new technologies that not only make 
a, a real world impact and solve a problem, but they bring funding and revenue back into fundamental research to start the process again. And I think we can really contribute to solving science's funding problem through that process. Well, that's definitely an uplifting note to end on. For anyone who wants to get in touch with Molly, the contact details for Patent will be in the description of this podcast. But before we leave, I've got one final question that I ask all of our guests, which is whether you have any book recommendations for the audience. Oh, book recommendations. Um, I'm not the person to ask for that. I am the world's worst reader. But if I had to, um, I've been getting a lot of value out of um, Mark Manson's Subtle Art Of series. He's got a lot of good messages, particularly at the moment, given the COVID-19 lockdown just a, a lot of ways to, to deal with it and, and take responsibility with how you're feeling. And yeah, it, it certainly really helped me and you know get into a better mental state to focus throughout all of this. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for, thanks for joining us on the podcast, Molly. No worries, Leo. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's all we can fit into Lab Notes for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're keen to hear more inspiring stories of innovation, check out our back catalogue and subscribe to the channel so new episodes can appear on your device once a week. Lab Notes is produced by Eon Labs in collaboration with Rennie Digital. You can find links to both of those organisations, along with our guest's biography, the papers we discuss, and more in the description below. Our music is sourced from Pebble Planet Music and mixed by Nat Harris. I'm your host, Dr. Leo Stevens. Until next week, keep inventing.